Hello, I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately on BAFTA Weekend. Who will win? Which film will shock? And does any of it matter? You know, in a in hundred years uh, time, you know, when Martians are coming down on Earth and trying to understand what we did here, they're going to see some films and the only thing that matters is, is if those films are great and, and, and hold up and, and tell something about us. That's Norwegian producer Thomas Robsand talking about his contender, the brilliant rom-com, The Worst Person in the World, nominated for Best Film, Not in the English Language, and for Best Actress for the brilliant Renata Reinsve, the star who was born on my Cannes edition of this very show way back last July, and who's now up for Best Actress at the BAFTAs. We'll talk to Thomas about that film, and I'll also be talking to performer, artist, singer, actress Jenny Beth, who you can see in Jacques Audiard's black and white modern romance Paris, 13th District. Two leading lights from the international film scene here on the show after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. With the BAFTAs approaching, I had to get all my final votes in, which meant catching up with a couple of films I'd somehow been late to or unaware of, I confess. I must tell you about Swan Song, because the magnificent Mahershala Ali got a Best Actor nomination for his performance in it, and I don't know how this film would pass me by. It's on Apple TV. Well, that might have something to do with it, because I don't have Apple TV. I mean... It's a point of principle more than anything else. How many subscription services can we all uh, subscribe to? Anyway, shame on me. I missed out because it's a great little film. Directed by Benjamin Cleary for his first feature after he won the Oscar for his short film Stutter. It's uh, really accomplished and strange. It's set a, a bit in the future where a corporation run by Glenn Close, so it's a bit of a scary corporation, uh, it's invented a way of making perfect clones. So if we disappear, for whatever reason, our families won't notice the replacement if we order that that action goes into place. Mahershala Ali has to decide if he wants his clone to take up with his gorgeous wife, played by one of my favourites, Naomi Harris, who was his old Moonlight co-star, remember? So there isn't just one big performance from Mahershala, but two, because he plays the clone as well. It's like a proper parents trap this because they are parents and it's a very smart thoughtful weird it's elegant and classy and it's moody perhaps a bit too moody and baleful it's very handsome very tasteful but it's really emotional I was in bits by the end of it and Mahershala is as good as you've ever seen him twice over maybe better because there's the cute side of him and there's an angry side of him I'm not sure we've seen all of those together I really recommend it and stay with it for its twists and its philosophical poses. I mean, I really was crying by the end. And I have to say, it might have been enough to sway my vote for best actor on the night at the BAFTAs. Swan Song on Apple TV now. It's got some great music in it too, including this, a version of Moon River by Frank Ocean. We're all chasing after our
Okay, so I saw Norway's worst person in the world in Cannes and I fell in love with the giddy Oslo set romance and with the performance of actress Renata Rainsford in the lead role of Julie, a woman on the verge of her 30s but who doesn't know yet what she wants to do with her life or who she wants to spend it with. The film's got some wonderful scenes, some of the best of the year in cinema, including a, a mushroom trip, brilliantly funnily done, and a brilliant sequence bringing the city to a standstill, all for a kiss. I mean, a classic romantic moment, I think. And Renata took Cam by storm, coming on my podcast and going on to win Best Actress in that order. So, you know. And now she's a star and nominated for Best Actress at the BAFTAs, and her film is among the nominees for film not in the English language. It's probably the toughest category of all, that one with Hand of God by Sorrentino, Parallel Mothers by Amodovar, Drive My Car by Amaguchi, and Petite Maman by Celine Schiama, all in there. And they're all on my list of the best around right now. Seriously, catch them all. You won't be disappointed by any of those. Anyway, I met the producer of Joaquin Trier's uh, The Worst Person in the World, Thomas Robson. He was uh, here in town and in London, in Dublin and in Glasgow with his rock doc, Aha! The Movie, which was great fun, uh, and will be out here in May. So uh, that's a lot going on from Norway, from one man. So I began by asking him why there was this sudden spike in artistic activity from Oslo. Well, maybe it's a coincidence or just, I mean, you know, when AHA started, it was, you know, you wouldn't expect anything out of Oslo or Norway. Uh, we were, you know, zero points in the Eurovision Song Contest yes. every year. You were the famous Eurovision <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, and now uh, suddenly, you know, first we had AHA, but uh, now, you know, there are bands, artists, and also filmmakers now that actually, uh, you know, can make things that work out also in a, in a country like England. So that's that's great. Uh, in your film, in the Aha film, they say at the start, well, no one's ever left Norway. You know, there's no bands, no footballers even. They don't. So now you have we have Martin Odegaard at my team, Arsenal, and Haaland is the biggest star in world sport almost so Norway is I think having a moment that's why I asked the question because Denmark's had its moment Sweden's had its moment I feel like Norway's is now yeah it's probably true it's uh, we we we've always felt a little bit inferior to Sweden and Denmark but now we are coming along uh, yeah it's it's about time <laughs> it seems to me the worst person in the world which I absolutely loved I had Renata on my showing can because I saw that film and I just said we have to talk to this woman she's fantastic but what I loved about and what I spoke to her about it was this different side of Oslo that it presented I mean I've I've seen Joachim Trier's films before but this felt younger romantic uh, cosmopolitan sort of hip uh, hipster urban stuff going on I'd never seen that side of Oslo on film before yeah, well, some sides of, of Oslo are new, like uh, the the area they talk about with a little bit of shame because he, he says he actually likes it. You know, that's completely new. Uh, and other parts are more classic, and uh, one part is even in Oslo 31st of August. But, uh, but yeah, uh, after making Louder Than Bombs in America and doing a genre film, uh, Thelma, uh, Joachim wanted to to go back to uh, to make another Oslo story inspired uh, by by recent 
different uh, experiences uh, and uh, and slowly we we kind of thought that maybe we should call it you know the the third film in the Oslo trilogy mm-hmm. so that everybody knew that if you loved Reprise and Oslo and and wasn't so sure about the next two ones, not because they were not good films, but just because they were, I know, sidetracks in a way, then you can be sure to to get back to what you want now. And that worked out brilliantly. <laughs> Great music in... Uh, I think I know what Joaquin likes to choose music. Great music in, yeah. in in Worst Person in the World and Great Music in Aha. Is that where you... Is this, is this a sudden double music production uh, uh, element to your work? Yeah, well, what me and Joachim have in common for sure is that we are we are both music lovers. We both uh, love music from the whole, you know, from when rock was invented and even before. And we both DJ a little bit. Me, me, mostly on on my own DJ Thomas rub some Facebook uh, things. So I'm I'm kind of uh, popular b- uh, amongst people that need Spotify lists for their uh, dinner party or whatever, or sometimes even for parties, you know, where they ask for for a list. But sometimes also. Uh, here and there, but Joachim does it more uh, regularly. Let's talk about your work as a producer and, and, and compare the two. Must be dif- different, your own film that you're directing as well and producing the AHA documentary. And then you've got the feature with, with Joachim. I know you've worked with him before. What is, what's the sort of difference in, in, in the job for both of those? Well, uh, it depends a little bit who you're producing for. Uh, you know, Joachim was already well-established as a director when we started working together so he in many ways is his own producer too and of course he doesn't need that much artistic input even though I mean he does listen Mm -hmm. to to a lot of people uh, when he makes his films he really wants to be sure that he makes the best version of of his film you know I've been directing and producing since I started working with film and I don't see a big big difference for me personally the only thing that's important is that the result is the best uh, possible film uh, so if I have you know if I'm just helping out as a consultant or if I'm producing it uh, or if I'm directing it, it it doesn't matter so much for me because you know in in a hundred years uh, time, you know, when Martians are coming down on Earth and trying to understand what we did here, they're going to see some films, and the only thing that matters is, is if those films are great and 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 hold up and and tell something about us in a hundred years. When you're working with a director like Joaquim and you're a director yourself, how much of your vision and input can you can you get into a film like worst person in the world when of course the aha film is all all yours Uh, how how do you sort of reconcile those two impulses in you to be the director and produce how much can you get in as a producer you know it's not that important to get uh, too much in there uh, actually because i know you know joachim is such a great director and uh and actually, the most important thing for me is to to have a say on the title and the poster and those things, so that we can get it to the audience. Sell it well. Yeah, because uh, it's it's terrible when you make a great film and you're not able to sell it. And we've always had always had some discussions around titles. I mean, Louder and Bombs was an English speaking 
with English titles, so it was really hard to sell in Norway. And so after that, and then with Telma, we also had some discussions around the title. And this time it was like, we have to have a title that we love. And Joachim was a bit nervous about it. So for a long while, it was just called Film 5. And then... Uh, one day he said, let's have a meeting, let's talk. And, you know, I had this title uh, I was thinking about. And, and the funny thing is, before he said it, I remembered that when I read the script, you know, there are chapter titles. Mm-hmm. So there were, were actually 10 <laughs> titles like there. Yeah. So I was thinking, so I remember thinking, well, maybe one of these chapter titles can be the title of the film. And I wrote down a few of them. And I was thinking about sending it out on an email, like saying, first of all, this is a great script. This is a film we can sell. I'm sure of it. It's great. And and I have a few title suggestions based on your chapter titles. But then I decided not to. <laughs> because sometimes as a producer, maybe it's not the smartest thing to, to come up with too many suggestions mm-hmm. to let the filmmakers kind of find out on, on their own. So when Joachim then um, uh, had, uh, had this meeting with me and and said, uh, I have this title, I'm wondering, I don't know. And he said, the worst person in the world, what do you think? And I said, great, it's it's super. That can work, you know, as long as we put something on the poster so you understand that it's not literally yeah. the worst person <laughs> in the world. Because it's a film, you think maybe it's a dark one. Exactly, it doesn't have, it must not come out as a dark film. So, uh, so you know, to, to be involved in how you sell the film, how you talk about the film, and I think one of the, 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 the really lucky thing about this film is exactly the fact that Renato won in Cannes because uh, the focus then, especially in Norway, was on the actress. People were really curious about her, mm-hmm. about that role, and a little bit less focus on Joachim, who, you know, is a great director, but seen a little bit as a little bit too intellectual yes, for the Norwegian audience. Director, exactly. So then. In this case, you know, people focused much more on the film and on the character yeah. and a little bit less on him, which which I'm sure was, was great for having. We, we've reached 250,000 admissions in Norway, which is uh, all Joachim's previous films combined. Thomas Robson, producer of The Worst Person in the World, Aha! The movie which he's directed is out here May the 26th, while Worst Person in the World arrives on our screens on March the 25th just before the Oscars, where it's also got two nominations for foreign film and for original screenplay. What a movie. Time for my star guest now. She's Jenny Beth, singer, performance artist, writer of erotic fiction, actress, rock star from Savages, and she's done a recent album duetting with Bobby Gillespie. She is a proper polymath and great company. And she plays sex cam girl Amber Sweet in Paris 13th District for France's coolest director, Jacques Audiard. You know, he did A Prophet, The Beat My Heart Skipped, Read My Lips, Rust and Bone. I mean, just wow, he's the greatest. And now he's working in black and white and subverting the classic French New Wave talking relationship movie, such as Eric Romer's My Night with Maud or Manuie Chez Maud. And he plunks it right in the middle of the new generation of digital natives and restless millennials in a futuristic looking housing estate in Paris in the 13th arrondissement. It's called Les Olympiades. It's got skyscrapers and stuff and all the buildings there are named after uh, cities that have hosted the Olympics or had when they were building it in the 70s. Uh, that The French title of the movie is Les Olympiades. As we heard from Thomas Robson, they always like a different title in France. 
So I began talking to Jenny Beth uh, about this, uh, about Selinsky Amma, about what veteran ODR was asking his really good-looking young cast of Lucy Zhang and Noemi Merlon from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Makita Samba, and of course Jenny Beth, to explore in Paris 13th. It's a film about love discourse, so in the modern world. So in Manusha mode, love discourse is uh, the first thing that happens and it happens for the whole night. And then there's no need for a physical interaction because everything has been said. In this film, um, uh, we those characters sleep on the first night <laughs> almost. And so I think the question that Jack was trying to explore is what is the love discourse if there is one today? Yeah. When does it happen? What does it say? Which I think is really an interesting thing to to explore. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But you do yeah. that a lot. You do that a lot in your work. I mean, in your music and in your writing, you, you you're you're searching for something similar. I I, I feel. Yeah, it's interesting actually when Jack uh, proposed the role because um, Amber Sweet is a calm girl, and this is a world I know from some um, friends and from particular experience, and and. I, I mean, I wasn't completely discovering that world. You know, I wrote a book of erotic fiction. It's it's things that I think about in, in my work, for sure. But um, but one of the first things that Jacques said is the character isn't you and you have a journey towards the character and that journey's work. And I really appreciated that because sometimes directors hire you because, or hire I don't know if that's a word yes, but you know what I mean um you get paid, yeah, didn't you? You get paid. <laughs> yeah I did <laughs> um they hire you because and they, they absolutely want you to to not change because what they see in you as a human being is what they want for the character and I think what was really relaxing with Jacques is that he, he believes in in the in the work ethic of an actor he believes in that trajectory he believes in um, transformation and and uh, that's that was it's even more relaxing in a way because there's um uh, how do you say there's things you have to do you know what I mean there's there are steps and it's it's kind of it's there's, less, a, there's a process that you're going you're through. less in your head yeah you know you're less, you, though, and you're I less think. alone as well because you're because working you have, with a team yeah but you have such a powerful already established persona that is, let's say, it's a, yeah, that, it's a persona, conf- it's not you yourself, you're, it's your stage yeah. persona or your character that you yeah. create. He, he could have wanted that because it's such a, yeah, a powerful punkish that, element. Absolutely, and, I, and that can frighten directors sometimes. Because uh, they think that anyone, I can tell you some of the stuff I've seen you do. <laughs> but because they 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 think that this the, they they might think it's the only thing I can do, and and I I, I re, I'm really thankful for Jack to taking the risk for me to to believe that I could do something else. Because um, there's a softness in Amber Sweet. She's playing a role as well. I mean, there are similarities between me and her in a way. I don't know how to say, but. Uh, she she Amber Sweet is a, is a, is a is a job name or is a her artist name in a way. Yeah. And she and what Jack wanted me to work is how she slowly becomes Louise. You know how those barriers fall down and and I was kind of living this a similar thing in my life at that point because I moved to Paris and and after twelve years in London and where I changed my name where I spent all my twenties and I became an artist and. And coming back to Paris was, in a way, coming back to so even speaking French again was, in a way, connecting to a more intimate part of myself. Mm. I suppose you know? also a, a younger part of yourself. You know that. Yeah. I mean, you, if you spend your twenties in London, 
you know, becoming an artist and doing on the music scene, then you, 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 you've, you've, you've had a life there. And when you go back to Paris and you start speaking French again, yeah. it's, it's, it's what you did at school. It's what you did when you were a kid. Uh, when you I had think your you, you're about. right. Yeah, you leave. I left the language. Well, si j'habitais à Paris, I used to live in Paris, and you, yeah, I, can, I can become I can a different tell. person in Paris. You know, I can be. I can tell you French speak me. from experience because that's what happens when you change country, doesn't it? You, you, you. The language stops. Yeah, when uh, you want uh, it to, really, you kind of want to become. You, you, you yeah. make that move because you want to become someone else, uh, or see totally. what that bit of you can do. Maybe it's a bit that isn't ruled yeah. by what people think of you here or your parents or whatever it is. And I'm not a rebel. I mean, you're far more rebellious than I was, so I could say. <laughs> yeah, but that's true. Language changes you and uh, a city as well, a country, a culture. And you want to be uh, changed by that. So when I came back to France, it was almost like going back to where I'd left off, <laughs> which, when, uh, which was very early in my life. And, um, but it was interesting. And I, I think in a way, Amber Sweet is following a, a, a journey that is, she's slowly putting down the lay, you know, um, we, we unwrapping her, even though we don't know much about her. No, she's she still said quite me, mysterious. Uh, you know, of all she the characters, is, yeah. she still remains mysterious totally. and slightly out of reach. Yes, yes. Because she has a function of a second role, I think, in the film, which is to, she's the only character, Jack always said, it's the only character that has found it herself, who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, who's very happy in her situation, um, which is very unusual for someone who is a sex worker. I think mm -hmm. in a film, it's usually the unsettled ones. So I really appreciate that the modernity turn on that character, I think, because I think that's very... Modern. It's not definitely not an angle I had seen many times in movies before. Did you feel like you yeah. were in a, did you feel like you were in a classic like Godard Truffaut Romer picture uh, because you were like shooting in, no, black and white I, in Paris, I, or did you feel that you were in a super modern picture? I just felt that I was in a Jacques Audin movie, <laughs> <laughs> but also black and white. Which is still pretty can... cool, to be honest. You're in a Jacques Audin yeah, movie. Black yeah, movie. <laughs> it is. I think um, black and white has this. Um, duality of uh, looking classic but also modern can modernize uh, a story yeah but, but also setting it up in in a classical frame and um and i think it works because it's i, I the black and white is quite shiny in the movie and, and uh, i think it gives it um universal dimension as well yes i think it does it takes it somehow out of paris a bit and jack was explaining he wanted to kind of look make it look like an asian metropolis in some way because yeah. it has that feel to it. What about, what about you, you're in a Jacques Odiar movie, presumably you'd seen some of his previous work. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've seen them all. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of his and um, I remember one of my favorite films is uh, A Very Discreet Hero. Oh, yeah. And I watched that when I was really young and watched it many times after. I know it really well. I don't know, it, it's funny knowing him now because in a way, he kind of uh, resembles his movies. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? That's interesting. I've I known him for quite a while too, and I think he's oh, very right. funny, and you know, yeah, he's very he funny is. and waspish and funny. But you know, he's eccentric, but he's also very smart, and you know, he's very smart, and I think he's very uh, quick. Yeah, you know, his his uh, his mind runs really fast, mm. and 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 he gets bored really quickly. He 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 wants to jump, and I think his movies have that element of is not trying to over explain things everything is there but everything goes quite quickly mm. you know in in the sense scenes are you know scenes are quite short when you yeah. think about it you know and they 
they're trying to go to the essential and they don't linger. Did Sorry. He get, did you, he let you bring some of your music? What do you it. mean, my music? Your Did you compose anything specially for this? No, no, no uh, Roan did the music. Roan is a really dear friend of mine. Um, he's an incredible composer, and I collaborated with him, actually, before we did a song together on his previous record. Who's this, Roan? Um, Roan. Roan. R-O-N-E. Is he yeah. French? He's French, mm. yeah. He did the music for Les Olympiades, mm. and uh, he's, a really, he's a French electronic producer. Mm. And we're good friends. And Jack didn't know we were good friends, actually. And uh, when he hired him, uh, so I have an email of Jack saying, God, I'm so stupid. I just realized you, you two know each other really well. <laughs> Ron's music, I think, is almost like a fifth character in the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's quite powerful. I thought maybe you had yeah, some input. It links. That's why. Yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't at all. I think w- the only thing was the song Falling, you know, which Lucy is singing at the end. Um, it's a song that Jacques played to me very early on um, when we started working. So I, and he liked it because he wanted my voice to be a bit, my voice to change throughout the, the movie. So when she's on the switch, it has a slightly different voice than when she's <laughs> Louise. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> And so I was, every time I was doing Amber Sweet, I would sing Falling in Love Again, just to find the low ends, because um, Amber would have a low end voice. Yeah. And then as as she goes to, as we go towards Louise, her, her voice starts to go up a bit more, just a bit more natural. You're going to you know, work it more... into some sets? You're going to work it into some of your live shows, doing that song? Oh, become no. Your, no. Become, <laughs> your torch, become your torch song, like Marlena. <laughs> yeah um, I, I don't think a, I can steal Marlena's torch <laughs> it's hers forever what about you what, 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 did you have film posters on your wall when you were growing up oh yeah absolutely I had um, I don't know the French title for it it's a Wim Wenders movie uh, Alice in the Cities Alice in the Cities you know? yeah you don't need yeah. the French title we're in Eng- it's an English show Ali- Alice dans les villes <laughs> yeah we- yeah, I had it in French. Yeah, I had that. I had also uh, The Kid by Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, what lovely posters. Yeah, the, uh, I had a lot of movie posters. I, um, my favourite film was also La Boom. <laughs> ah, with Sophie Marceau. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I looked like her. I mean, I did everything I could to look like her. I don't blame you. <laughs> when I was eight years old. You don't yeah. look like her now. I had the same haircare. I had, a, you know, I loved her. Um, I loved her too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was a real massive film fan. My parents, um, I, I, we didn't have TV, you know, so we only had cassettes and we were only allowed to watch movies. So I was raised on Hitchcock and Truffaut and, you know, um, Louis Mal. And, wow, what was the first film you and, ever saw? I don't know, actually. It's hard to remember. I think... Uh, oh, cinema. Mm. Whoa. It's a really good question. I think I remember one film. It was uh, The Rehearsal by Catherine Corsini. Wow. Um, I went to see that and I remember she used Taxi Girl as the end credit track. And I had never heard Taxi Girl. That was a massive aesthetic shock for me. incredible track i really wanted to know who was singing that 
Wow, what um, a great, what a great uh, first film. Never had that. Yeah, I, that ask, I ask my guests quite often and I've never had a Catherine Corsini movie. Is there, <laughs> is there first? Well, actually, I shot with her then yes, four years did. ago. So it was it was quite funny. Did you tell her that perhaps that she was the Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not at first, but then when we come became more friendly, I, I told her about that experience. Yeah, it was What was real... the film you did with her? Um uh, An Amour Impossible. Oh, yeah, An Amour Impossible. An Impossible Love, yeah, yeah with Virginia Fiora. Yes, of course. Um yeah, and it was interesting actually doing that movie when I that was the year I moved back to Paris. And it was a real synchronicity because I, I was just starting to formulate the idea of, oh, I'd love to do acting again. I wonder how I could do it. And then I was called to ask if I would be interested to cast for this. And uh, so it was like a perfect timing. Yeah. But, um, and it, and the first day of shooting of that movie was with Ephira and Neil Schneider in the, in the museum. And, and two seconds before Catherine would say action, Virginie looked at her phone and told us Jeanne Moore had died, which was so interesting because I Jeanne Moreau, she would she would have been on my walls, you know. Yes. She she like um, Elevator to the Gallows was one of my the movies I saw very early on when my parents were playing me all these movies, um, and uh, and it was it was quite interesting. Yeah, that oh. it was at that moment that I learned she had died when she had been such a hero of mine when I grew up. Well, mine too. We have the Sophie Marceau, Jean Moreau. We have the same, <laughs> the same queens. <laughs> oh, good. Especially, good. especially. I love it. We're elevated to the gallows, lift to the scaffold. There's so many different titles for that. Uh, oh, true. That yeah. On Florence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Her I didn't down know the that. Yeah, yeah. That's. Oh my god. Mm. That's. And Beautiful. Corsini, I don't know, she was in Cannes this uh, summer with the, yeah. with the film. The same. Did you see her again this summer because you, you were in Cannes at the same yeah, time? Yeah, no, I didn't see her in Cannes, uh, but we we spoke, um, you know, we, we texted. When mm -hmm. she got nominated and we did with Les Olympiades, we, we texted each other. Um, yeah, and, and her movie was really good and I, I'm really glad it's doing well, yeah. yeah. What about if I could give you time travel as a gift? Sure, like Doctor I love Who. that. <laughs> Which movie set would you visit to see <gasps> being made? Okay, the first thing that popped to my mind when you said that was uh, a Truffaut movie. It's uh, the American Night. Oh, La Nuit Americaine. La Nuit Americaine. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's called Day. It's called Day for Night in English, I think. Yeah, it probably not gonna. It wouldn't be the most interesting. <laughs> I don't it know. It'd be amazing. It'd be in that. In, <laughs> it'd be in the south of France, in Nice. They shot it in the, that. That yeah, and I think just to see Truffaut work, I think Truffaut was one of them. Is, 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 I mean, I grew up with his films, but also as a character, he was, he was uh, as a man, as an artist. I think he, he was very interesting and and very um, forward thinking. Even though his movies can seem quite traditional, uh, even the way you know he he did that book with Hitchcock. Yeah. It was the way he, you know, he, he gave value to Hitchcock movies, Hollywood being, you know, a mass culture becoming also a subject of intellectual culture, you, you know, you're bringing it into the intellectual world. And I think he was very, very forward thinking. And his movies have this timeless energy for me. And I don't know, that movie, there's, there's a vibe to it. Very it's melancholic. Very good vibe. And it's a, one of the best mm. films about making films. Yeah. So it's got meta. Exactly. Really. Yeah. It, totally. Yeah. 
And it's not black and Maybe white. Maybe that's why. It's not black and white, Truffaut. It's colour, Truffaut. It is colour. Yeah. 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 Apart from the 100 blows, uh, 400 blows. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're off. I can see you're, you're going back to London. You're, <laughs> you're on set now in your head. What's your, what's fa- what's your favourite musical moment in all of cinema? Dance number or it could be use of music. What's your favourite? Uh, Kubrick, for sure. Um, which bit? Which bit? What the the opening well, of two thousand and one or the well two thousand and one musically, but mm-hmm. all of them as well. Um, so Kubrick's use of music. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. The the um, Clockwork Orange, obviously. Um, the singing in the rain bit with Clockwork Orange when they're yeah having yeah. violent moments. <laughs> yeah, Jenny Bear. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. I um, hmm, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It is. But also, also it. if I, I, there's another one is uh, Shadows of Casavetes because of the use of jazz and how, you know, when he goes to jazz clubs and you feel that vibe, you feel that grit, you know, that a sort of um, uh, under 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 culture. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an under culture, but you know what I mean, underground culture. Yes. Um, the way people used to go to those clubs and dance on jazz music and the way he sits, the character sits with his glasses, sunglasses on the corner and watches uh, those people play and, and the lifetime of those musicians in New York. And so that's a, that's a film about music I really like. And here's some of that music by French electronic artist Rhone, the theme to Paris 13, Paris 13th district, uh, from the original soundtrack to that movie. Uh, the movie's out next weekend, March the 18th, uh, in Curzon Cinemas and on Curzon Home Cinema. <laughs> Brilliant, Jenny Beth, I thought. I love talking to her and seeing her kitchen in Paris, as I did on the Zoom. A really interesting film, that one. Really fun, sexy, looks great. It's not the best ODR movie ever, perhaps, but it is different for him. It's stylish and it's provocative. And wow, Lucy Zhang in her first film. She is a star. So I'm heading to the BAFTAs now. It's a shame my two-hour BBC Red Carpet live show on the news channel has been cancelled. That's due to the situation in Ukraine. We just can't be covering fashion and film on a red carpet and then cutting away to the news of war. It's too risky visually and we would have had to cut for breaking news and that, that could have been of a nature so horrific that coming back to Jane Hill and me to talk about movies or dresses and stars, it just isn't the right tone. And I totally agree with that. So that's why you won't be seeing us. So if you think about it, that is the correct decision from a news point of view. It just doesn't work on the news channel because it is it, it, the news is not is not necessarily the BAFTAs this year. Uh, as it hasn't been for a little while, but you know that's the that's what the task that cinema faces now to kind of find a, a a role amidst all of this. But I'll still be there at the Baftas. I'll be mooching around at the parties and and at the uh, event itself. I've got a nice date at the French Embassy to welcome the French nominees. Oh yeah, 
and then a few other lovely invites around town. So it'll be a big BAFTA weekend. Do watch the BAFTAs. I think the nominations this year are a great mix, even if I think BAFTA will go gaga for the power of the dog and give it maybe five BAFTAs, I'll say. I don't think it'll win all the acting categories, but cinematography for Ari Wegner fine adapted screenplay well i haven't read the original book but uh, yes it's a good screenplay uh director for jane campion best movie i think and certainly best score for johnny greenwood maybe a sick in there for cody smith mckee in supporting although i'm hoping that goes to to troy concert from coda there you go some predictions for you five baftas i say uh, for power of the dog just before we go shout out for red rocket which is out in cinemas this weekend i loved that a day-glow tale of the tawdry American dream from Sean Baker, he of Tangerines, and The Florida Project. This time directing indie spirit winner Simon Rex as a washed-up porn star, returning to his Texas oil town roots to corrupt another young soul who works in a donut shop. Shit, you're Mikey. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, it's me, man. It's me, Lonnie. Do I know you? Well, I mean... Kinda. I mean, I, I live here, obviously, and, uh, no, Lexi, man. Lexi used to babysit me all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my parents came home one night. Y'all were humping in their bedroom. You jumped out the window naked. They called the cops on you and everything. Yep, yep, now I remember. Oh, shit, your mother hates me. Uh, well, I mean, she hated you, man. Uh, yeah, she died. Oh, damn, sorry to hear that. Nah, man, it's good, man. I mean, it happened over a year ago. Bladder cancer. Shit's a motherfucker. Ah, shit, that sucks. Hey, we should hang out sometime. Take a spin in this bad boy. Uh, yeah, man, what are you even doing back here? Oh, it's a long story, but do you think you could take me downtown tomorrow? We could catch up? Yeah, dude, I would love to. I got nothing else to do. Hell yeah, thanks, bro. Uh, hey, let's just get you some shoes on this bitch. You're good to go. Yeah, man, I can't wait. All right. And welcome back, dude. Fucking Mikey, man. Shit. Seriously, it's funny. It's edgy. It's sexy again. It's creepy. It's desperate. It's scuzzily beautiful. A Trump's America satire. Red Rocket. See it. And TV recommendation. I caught up with Mood on BBC iPlayer. Just great telly. Really inventive. Bursting out into song and dance numbers. But amid the, the wit and grit of a young East London girl trying to make it as a singer but stuck sofa surfing and then staying at a drug dealer with a samurai sword. And then she has to hook up with a sex worker who turns her onto a new revenue stream. It's just excellent stuff from everyone involved in bringing this from a one woman play to the screen. But breakout props go to Nicole Leckie, who writes, stars, performs, sings, produces. We found a real British gem of a star here. Mood is a bit flea bag, I suppose, a bit I will destroy you, but it's all its own, really. It's a bit lighter than those and less experimental and less sort of hard hitting, I suppose, but just it makes many of the same points uh, and, and does it in that very fresh and inventive style. Well done, Mood. I cannot wait to see more. Okay, it's a lot of great stuff this week on Seen Any Good Films lately. Red Rocket, Mood on the telly, Watch the BAFTAs on telly, 7 o'clock, BBC One, Sunday night. Uh, get ready for Paris 13, Paris the 13th District, and The Worst Person in the World, and anything 
with Jeanne Moreau in it, as we were discussing with me and Jenny Beth. So for, for me and Jenny, let's go out with Miles Davis playing over Jeanne Moreau's legendary walk down the Champs-Élysées as Florence in Lift to the Scaffold. See you next week with the BAFTA results tucked under my arm.